Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Very glad you're with us for this New Year's Eve edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've made it to the end of 2021. And we've made it to the end of our special six-episode edition of our year-end awards. And today we reach the most significant awards, namely Person of the Year and Turncoat of the Year. And then Jim and I will also offer our predictions for 2022. So, Jim, we've had this massive ramp-up. It's like getting to the, the Big Picture Award at the Oscars. Everyone's been waiting for it. Who is your Person of the Year? Well, Greg, the interesting, you and I have never really laid out what our criteria for person of the year is. Uh, for a long time, Time Magazine used to say for their person of the year, man of the year, um, you know, it was a person who had the greatest influence on the news and world events for good or for ill. And that's how you ended up with Hitler and Stalin and the Ayatollah Khomeini uh, winning the award. And then, you know, 2001 occurred. And I think pretty, I don't think too many people would dispute that. Osama bin Laden had more influence on world events in 2001 than any other human being on Earth. But for obvious reasons, Time magazine did not love the idea of putting bin Laden on the cover just a couple of months after the 9-11 attack. So they went with Rudy Giuliani. Boy, I wonder if they feel differently about that one now. Anyway, um, so I I went through this and I cheated a little bit because I think, you know, this year's Time magazine selection, Elon Musk, a very easy to justify pick. And almost every year, the president of the United States has some of the most biggest influence on what happens in the world. So, yeah, you know, you could justify Joe Biden, even if you're not a fan. But I decided, like, who do I think had a huge influence on the year and doesn't get enough credit? So I'm cheating a little bit. and I'm not picking one individual. I'm picking an industry. But I also kind of feel like this is someone who has been villainized for really decades. And then, you know, this past year, the year before that, this industry came through when all of humanity needed it. Big Pharma, this is your year. Thank you for existing. Because basically for the last, at least the last two decades, if not, you know, going back to Hillary Care and before that, America's pharmaceutical companies have been the punching bag for mostly congressional Democrats, but occasionally Republicans too. They're always denounced as greedy. They're always denounced as selfish. They're always you know, denounced as profiting from human suffering and pain. And all they do is they get up every day, they come up with new kind of medicines. How dare they, those bastards? And oh, by the way, all the things that go on in the process of creating that, it doesn't, you know, I suppose there are some things that do grow on trees. But by and large, if you've ever been to a pharmaceutical plant or if you've ever, you know, seen one of them, all of it requires really fancy specialized equipment. So late 2019 in Wuhan, China, this virus appears <coughs> out of a lab um or or out of a wet market or something all of a sudden it comes along and the human immune system apparently has almost nothing to protect itself from that actually not true you know some people have protection some people don't but if you're elderly if you had these comorbidities you are in deep doo-doo and this thing spreads like wildfire we as humanity are in a really bad spot here we're looking at something that's going to just cut through people who are elderly people who are immunocompromised people who have comorbidities and America's pharmaceutical companies, and in fact, pharmaceutical companies around the world get to work. And apparently by like just a couple of weeks into it, they've figured out, here's something we think is going to work. Do you know what took the time to get the uh, the, vir- the the vaccines really ready to go until t- December 2019? It was not actually manufacturing. They managed to churn out about a million doses in a couple of days, at least the Pfizer one. No, it was the FDA approval process, which has been driving me crazy lately. 
But the other thing that I've been sticking out is that this constant demonization of the pharmaceutical industry. There's a really interesting study from uh, just about a month or two ago from the uh, Kaiser Family Foundation, which has been doing a lot of polling throughout the entire pandemic. And they found out amongst Americans who said in a recent survey that they will definitely not get a COVID-19 vaccine, only 20% say they trust pharmaceutical companies to provide reliable information. In other words, all of this constant demonization of pharmaceutical companies, they're evil, they're greedy, they're selfish, you can't trust them. That's added to a certain amount of the vaccine skepticism. And that I think, and we're paying the price for that because there are certain people, Pfizer puts out all of its test data. They tell you how many people got sick when they tested the vaccine, but people don't believe it. They think that, oh, they're, they're hiding all this kind of stuff. So that's the, the consequence of this constant demonization of pharmaceutical companies has caught up with us and there are bad consequences. As far as I'm concerned, Got my vaccine, got my booster. Uh, didn't love the side effects of the first shot, but it, you know, got through it okay. Um, and we are just in a different state of the world because of the existence of pharmaceutical companies. Let me also observe, at least as of this recording, uh, Pfizer and Moderna are pretty effective against the, uh, the Omicron variant, particularly if you got a booster. Other vaccines in other countries, not so much. And if you got the Chinese vaccines, oh boy, I hope you're a fan of gambling because they're more exciting than the than the gaming tables of Macau taking a Chinese vaccine. So <laughs> Pfizer, Moderna, I guess overseas, Oxford, even Johnson & Johnson, although it's been another rebuilding year for the other big project of the Johnson brothers. <laughs> Thanks for everything you've done this past two years. You know, you don't get nearly enough credit. Thank you, pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, you know, you're of two different minds with the pharmaceutical industry, right? If you have to have a prescription and you get that sticker shock and you're like, oh my gosh, why is it so expensive? And then you find out what it takes and what it costs to try to develop new medications and because a lot of them don't end up working. So they spend a whole lot of money that doesn't actually result in any profit for them. And so the ones that do, uh, they need profit so they can keep doing the next one. So everybody's trying to bring prescription drug costs down. Obviously, I would love to see that too. Uh, but at the same time, if you want future treatments for whatever it is, Alzheimer's, diabetes, take your pick. You know, that, that COVID-23. COVID-23. <laughs> Uh, you know, that takes time. It takes research. And, uh, you know, if they are charging too much, you know, take a look at that. But, uh, you know, it, the miracle uh, drugs and treatments and things that uh, radically improve people's lives don't come cheap. And so it's, it's easy to demonize. But uh, there's a reason why most of the medical innovation comes in this country rather than countries that have price controls. So while you love the lower prices, sometimes there's a reason that they're higher. But uh, hopefully... Hopefully we can have both. I would love to have both because I hate paying a lot for medication. But, uh, Jim, my choice is the one I kind of thought you would go with, but I'm glad you didn't because uh, I, I think it's good to have a, a wide breadth of uh, selections, especially for such a prestigious award. I look at, uh, you know, first of all, you can look at things that people did, and then you can also look at things people did so that other things didn't happen. If we didn't have Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema this year, mm. think about what the Democrats would have gotten through the House and, more importantly, what they would have gotten through the Senate and Joe Biden would have rubber-stamped at the Oval Office desk. We probably wouldn't have a legislative filibuster, which means just about everything that they can get Joe Manchin to vote for uh, would become law. And uh, it's, uh, it's just amazing that those two stood up to all the slings and arrows, at least at this point as we record this late in the year. Uh, Manchin's already uh, made his announcement about not supporting Build Back Better. Uh, but, you know, it did, whether they're accosting Manchin in a parking garage or at his boat or chasing Kirsten Cinema into the bathroom, uh, they have stood strong, particularly on the filibuster, because that covers... 
you know, a multitude of issues that aren't going to advance unless they change their minds in the United States Senate. And then Manchin, obviously, um, although if you read reports, especially quotes from Kirsten Sinema, that uh, there were a handful of other Senate Democrats who still opposed Build Back Better but didn't have the courage to to speak up and were kind of letting Manchin and Sinema take all the blows, um, you know, they have really prevented a lot of horrible stuff from happening. Washington and this country would look a lot different right now if they hadn't done that. And uh, to think about all the things that would have gotten rammed through on party line votes in the U.S. Senate with Kamala Harris constantly there breaking the tie, we would have a uh, much more depressed <laughs> outlook heading into 2022. Greg, I salute you for your continued record of making picks that make me say, ah, why didn't I think of that one? Uh, But I'm glad I didn't, because that way we get to honor two and all that kind of stuff. But yes, an excellent choice on your part. Well, Jim, we can rest easy knowing that we've made good choices for person of the year. And I suspect we're going to make good choices over our last two categories as well. Uh, But... If you need to rest easy, my pillow, the place to go. Hopefully, you got something from my pillow for Christmas, or you gave it to someone uh, for Christmas. Because my pillow, fantastic towels, sheets, the pillows themselves, of course. I love my slippers. I talk about them ad nauseum. I'm sure you're probably tired of me talking about how much I love the slippers at this point. But my pillow also makes everything here in the U.S. So everything's in stock. No back orders. No delayed shipping for all of their products. And even though we're a few days past Christmas now. All of this stuff is still on sale, so you got to jump on it now. Because the MyPillow is made 100% right here in the U.S., and they have built a huge inventory, they can ensure their customers will have gifts for everyone. There are no supply chain issues, no delays, and no backlog. Everything from the MyPillows at their lowest price ever to sheets, slippers, robes, and now cardigans is on sale. They're all in stock, and they're ready to ship fast. MyPillow is your one-stop shop for everyone on your list. And all MyPillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener specials and get specials like buy one, get one on Giza Dream Sheets or the lowest price ever on the MyPillow premiums when you use the promo code MARTINI or use that code when you call 800-874-0104. Don't miss this sale of the year. That's MyPillow.com, promo code MARTINI. Or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com. All right, Jim, we've swept all the confetti off the floor after handing out our Person of the Year awards. Now we turn to the more ominous side, Turncoat of the Year. Who gets it for you? A lot of strong contenders. You notice we tend to have more good, more strong options for the bad categories and for the good categories. But I went with... A, a choice that I suspect a lot of listeners will applaud. And I think I give them credit. I selected them over all the other strong nominees because they accomplished the rare double turncoat, Greg. <laughs> Going with our, making air quotes, friends at the Lincoln Project. Because I think they've inadvertently turned coats twice, right? That they basically uh, turned against their their former the Republican Party and conservatism and almost all of their you know, previous values. Because if you look at the Lincoln Project and its stance, right now their belief is that in order to restore conservatism, we need to defeat every Republican in every race in 2022. Huh? They you know, they started out as an anti-Trump organization. Now they're just flat out anti-Republicans at all levels. So in other words, to preserve their conservative values, they claim that they haven't changed. We need to elect liberal Democrats at every level. Ah, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> However, this past fall, <laughs> the Lincoln Project decided to show up at a Glenn Youngkin rally with folks in the khakis and the collared shirts and the caps and the sunglasses 
and the Tiki Torches trying to reenact those hate mongers out in Charlottesville. And, you know, they kept saying, we're with Glenn or we're here for Glenn or something like that. Sheepishly, I think, recognizing that what they were doing, that they were attempting in their minds to stand up against hate by dressing up and trying to reenact hate. <laughs> and obviously, the, within a few minutes, the Terry McAuliffe campaign was screaming, this wasn't us, we didn't do it, all stuff. It took a couple of days before the Lincoln Project came forward and said, yes, yes, that was us. Um, and more than a few folks believe, first of all, this was exactly not the messaging that Terry McAuliffe needed in the final days of the campaign. Uh, I think it angered Republicans even more. I think it depressed Democrats even more. And there are some folks who kind of looked at it and said, look, even if this only swayed uh, uh, you know, a few thousand votes, it was a close race. He did not need this. You can make the argument the Lincoln Project delivered the uh, ele- Virginia gubernatorial election victory to Glenn Youngkin. Probably wasn't all by themselves, but this did not help, right? Um, the reenactment of Charlottesville wasn't the biggest story of the year, but I think it was a deeply revealing one. Um, it is this, you know, like de- depressing and I think vivid lesson that a bunch of people who claim to oppose hate and extremism will simulate hate and extremism if they think it will help their candidate win. In the end, they don't really oppose hate and extremism. They oppose hate in all its forms. They oppose hate and extremism unless it can help their guy win, and then they're totally okay with it. Then they're fine with it. They are pro-hate and extremism. They will do whatever it takes to get attention, and I suspect donations to the Lincoln Project. Now, you could say, ah, you know, a lot of people are going to do that. You know, lots of people in politics are just desperate to get attention. They want a bigger name. They just want to you know, rattle the tin can and ask for donations. You know, just doing doing desperate and stupid and offensive things for, for money and attention. That's what the Kardashians are for. Do you know actually who's going out and doing useful things for society? Kim the Kardashians. <laughs> they helped get criminal justice reform passed. They helped get the Armenian genocide bill passed. And Kim Kardashian went out and passed the uh, the baby bar uh, exam of, of out in California. So right now, the Lincoln Project are doing much less for society than the Kardashians. <laughs> and they're more desperate for fame and attention than the Kardashians. So for that, Lincoln Project, I award you turncoat of the year. I, I think we're getting close to naming this award for the Lincoln Project. <laughs> <laughs> We, we should say in future years, the Lincoln Project Memorial <laughs> Turncoat of the Year Award. I mean, no one personifies this better than the Lincoln Project uh, over the years and again this year. They also fortunately have, you know, an Adam Gase-like win percentage uh, in the races they get deeply involved in. They went 0 for 7 in the Senate races in uh, 2020. And then, you know, this whole long, year-long effort to paint Glenn Youngkin as a racist blew up in their face. And especially at the event you mentioned. And so that uh, that uh, proved to be a loss for them as well. And if uh, certain stories are to be believed, that has actually uh, hurt their fundraising, uh, that uh, Democrats very angry at the Lincoln Project for pulling that stunt because they think it might have cost McAuliffe the election. McAuliffe did plenty on his own to cost himself that election, but the Lincoln Project, almost in a class uh, by themselves for uh, soulless grifting uh, with no principle behind any of it at all. So... I don't know when the Democrats will wise up uh, who keep feeding them money. Given their track record of success, I kind of hope it keeps going. But uh, it's just annoying when they pull a stunt like that and then the mainstream media says, ah, it's uh, anti-Trump Republicans who did this. No, 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 no. It's anti-Trump grifters that did this. (laughs) They have no real affiliation. Jim, I had two names that's really close, really, really fighting over here. And I thought maybe that given the Mansion and Cinema Award for the first one, I could have said, 
you know, we could have avoided having to rely on Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema if morons like Lynn Wood hadn't been out there telling people not to vote for Republican Senate candidates in Georgia that could have tilted the Senate. So he gets an honorable mention, or a dishonorable mention, probably more accurately. But the winner of the year for me, Randy Weingarten of the American Federation of Teachers. Her entire existence, purportedly, is to stand up not only for teachers, but for what's best for kids in America's public schools. And ever since the uh, the first closures for the pandemic, no matter what she says now, Randy Weingarten has been the lead cheerleader for keeping things closed, constantly moving the goalposts for what it will take to get schools back open. Mask mandates, vaccine mandates, she's on all of that. And every step along the way, uh, kids have suffered. And if I have to hear kids are resilient one more time or kids will adjust one more time, no, that's not your job. Your job is to get those kids back in school, yes, as safely as possible. But, uh, you know, political issue after political issue, you had some teachers unions, I'm sure she was involved in that, uh, you know, demanding Medicare for all and other far left liberal things past Congress completely unrelated to the pandemic before they go back to the classroom. It turned into a highly political exercise. And if, you know, as we've said already in these award seasons, if anything good came out of this pandemic, the parents are starting to see a lot clearer who has their best interests and who doesn't when it comes to schools. And uh, parents are now taking those choices into their own hands to the extent that they can. But uh, Randy Weingarten has proved that when it comes to public education, the welfare of the kids might be the very last priority on our list. Excellent choice. A, a depressing choice. I, I think you're, you're probably that would have been a uh, if you and I were in, not trying to have fun with this, that'd be a really terrific selection. And probably I'm glad you mentioned that because now I feel stupid for, for not not thinking of that one. No, it's uh, there's there's like you said, there's a lot of them out there. The Lincoln Project certainly distinguish themselves as uh, as well. Jim, let's move on to our predictions for 2022. But first of all, let's uh, look back at last year's predictions. And I think we're both right. You predicted that it would be a good year if Joe Biden did certain things. And it would have been, except <laughs> that he didn't. So here's your prediction. I think if Biden is smart, he would recognize America could really use some nice, calm, quiet peace and prosperity. And if he can deliver, you know, all, if, so that means no big tax increases. That means no sweeping changes. We don't need a socialist revolution right now. We just need our lives to get back to normal. If Biden is smart and he can pick up on that, we could be in a really nice place at the same time next year. Greg, the country could be enjoying peace and prosperity in a sense of enjoying the good times that we were denied because of this great ordeal of 2020. Or they're probably screwed up, Greg. There's a decent shot of that, too. And there is. And I, of course, had the pessimistic tone last year. And here's what I said. I hope you like Jim's optimistic vision of, of what might the next year might look like. Because here's, here's my uh, almost 180 uh, approach to this. So <laughs> I hope you're right, Jim. I hope your prediction's true and mine's not. But um, I expect the Biden administration to go pretty hard left, particularly after the first 100 days, and especially if the Democrats win the two Georgia Senate seats, which I have a sinking feeling they will, in some part due to the fact that uh, you've got uh, people like Lynn Wood and others saying uh, that if you think that uh, there was malfeasance in the presidential race, uh, you need to not vote at all in the runoffs. I don't know how many people are going to listen to that. Hopefully it's not many, but the races are tight enough, and they certainly were on Election Day back in November, that uh, just a sliver of a percentage of people buying into that could make a huge difference come Election Day. So I don't play that to gloat because if you look at my prediction from 2019, 
I said that nobody running for president for the Democrats would um, would be the nominee that Michelle Obama would be drafted. So uh, sometimes you crash spectacularly. Sometimes sometimes you you hit it. And I think we both hit it last year. So uh, you know what could have been, uh, but they blew, and uh, what actually happened. So uh, Jim, what's your prediction for 2022? Well, first of all, I, would, I salute you, uh, and it's a good, good hard lesson for me never to be optimistic. Never trust <laughs> Obama. Never, never trust Biden. Never trust anybody from the Obama administration. Um, I've been thinking about this, and a couple of these past episodes, I've talked about 2022 being the year of the reckoning. Right? Um, some of this will come in the form of the midterm elections. Uh, you know, as of this moment, it certainly looks like Republicans are going to have a good year. Uh, in addition to you know a very small margin in the House, and in addition to picking up seats in the Senate and having a uh, you know, Republican majority instead of the 50-50 split. Um, I'm also really hoping to see Republican wins in gubernatorial races. They had a really bad cycle in 2018. If that was the, the if that was the blue wave, we're probably going to get the red tsunami of some version. Things will be fine. But I also um, feel like we're going to see a kind of just this broader cultural reckoning. And maybe you feel like we've already started to see that in the tail end of 2020. President Biden was elected to end the Trump era of disorder and chaos. And I think they were re- they wanted a return to normalcy. They wanted a return to stability. I, I think most Americans don't want to spend a lot of time thinking about politics, and they just want to go about their lives and enjoy their lives. And they certainly don't want to think about uh, this pandemic that has disrupted everything since March 2020. Biden replaced the Trump era of order and disorder and chaos with his own era of disorder and chaos, whether it's the uh, vaccine mandates, whether it's the runaway inflation, whether it's... Uh, supply chain issues, whether it's a sense that the, you know, the Afghanistan, um, this is a president who who is not reassuring, who does not make people think, oh, don't worry, he's got this. We're, we've got the solutions. Everything's fine. Um, the pandemic's going away. Everything's great. It's just not working. It, it, it's, it's really been in rough shape. And even worse, uh, ironically, a man who won the Democratic primary in large part because he wasn't Bernie Sanders, has kind of governed as if he's Bernie Sanders or he's governed as if he's afraid to tell Bernie Sanders and AOC and the progressive wing of the party, no. Except if Americans had wanted the progressive wing of the Democratic Party to run the country, Democrats in the Democratic primary of 2020 would have elected Bernie Sanders. They, they, it's, it's very bizarre. I've never seen a president so completely misread what his mandate is. Well, this is inevitably going to generate a backlash. I think we already saw it in Virginia. We're probably going to see it in other parts of the country. But the other thing I think we're going to have a reckoning there were all kinds of problems with the, the Trump administration's foreign policy. But I think there were also some big successes, uh, most notably the Abraham Accords. I think uh, uh, Trump had enough of the, you know, don't mess with him, he's crazy uh, uh, vibe that he gave off. But you didn't see a great deal of unrestrained aggression on the world stage during the Trump years. Uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of the world thinks Biden is a pushover. I think the world sees Biden is old and decrepit and, and not able to handle his duties anymore. I don't think anybody's intimidated of Kamala Harris. I know it's going to shock you. And I don't think anybody's worried about Blinken or, or anybody else. And I think whatever credibility this administration had was, you know, it fell from the landing gear, just like that poor Afghan in the middle of summer. So I don't know if China's going to invade Taiwan in the, in the coming year. I do think it's very likely at minimum we see more saber rattling certainly after the uh, the upcoming genocide games, which will be an embarrassment to the world. I don't know if Russia is going to invade Ukraine. One of my great fears, Greg, is that as we're, you know, we're recording this now and between now and when people hear it, it invades. And this looks like a, I'm, I'm you know, not making a good prediction. Um, I think the world is realizing 
the night watchman is not on duty anymore. That Trump was not such an aberration that uh, in his quasi-isolationism and questioning of long-time alliances and things like that. I think the world recognizes America is not what it used to be in terms of, you know, whether you want to call it as playing the, you know, playing the world's policeman or just playing its traditional role of assuring stability on the world stage. And I think that is going to unleash, uh, that, that's opening Pandora's box. That is really creating a potential for great chaos in our lives. Hopefully not as bad as the pandemic, but I think that we are going, we are heading towards an era of greater global instability. I hope to be wrong, but you know what, listeners, you try, I tried optimism last year and look at where we are. <laughs> well, Jim, I had uh, part of that down. You had a, a good sweeping view of Biden's, you know, fecklessness and the impact that's going to have on the world stage. Afghanistan is going to have so many negative repercussions. And I, I really think it's going to be Taiwan in this next year. It's going to get Hong Konged. It's a whole different relationship and situation. I get that. And but uh, you, you just see it already happening. You see the, the intimidation, the flyovers, you know, the Biden administration uh, frantically pulling the plug on a video because Taiwan happened to be a different color than China on the map. Um, China is seeing that the world is not serious about standing up for Taiwan. So it's going to get uh, more and more uh, aggressive in that area. I think it's going to tr- probably focus more economically and just kind of slowly strangle uh, Taiwan as much as it can without having to resort to military force. Uh, And if they have to, they will. I don't know how much of that will happen in 2022, but I think we're going to go a long way down that road and we're going to probably be at the conclusion by the end of next year that it's going to be an inevitability because nobody else is willing to do anything about it. Um, My other prediction is that while I think the uh, Republicans will win back the House, I think the Democrats will actually it's hard to say because it could be a really big landslide year. So I could be wrong about this. But as of right now, given the seats that are up and the open seats that are up, I think the Democrats might actually uh, get a actual majority in the Senate. And uh, if that's true, then Republicans better win the House, because if not, we could see the filibuster in big trouble. I think that's a uh, I think that's all reasonable assessments. And it's probably a bad sign if you and I are like a Venn diagram that overlaps a great deal. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it would be nice if it was all good stuff we were predicting, right? You know, China's going to be cowed. They're going to be told to go sit in the corner and they're going to lose their dominance on the world stage. And, you know, the Democrats are going to learn their lesson and not try to go radical. Yeah, none of that's going to happen. Look, bright side, we'll all be here to laugh at our predictions a year from now. (laughs) Yes, yes, Lord willing. So, Jim, another fantastic year with you. Thank you very much for all all the fun and all the great discussions. Our listeners, thank you so much for being with us every day. Hope you've enjoyed our series here at the end of the year, giving away the uh, prestigious year-end awards. Enjoy your New Year's celebrations. Please do so safely. And join us again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Happy New Year, everyone. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next.